Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1. If you're using the black church Bibles that are provided there, that can be found on page 793. Zechariah is one of the books in the Bible called the Minor Prophets because they tend to be shorter in length than the major prophets, (laughs) although Zechariah is actually the longest of the minor prophets. And like I mentioned last week, we wanted to, we haven't been in a minor prophet in in a long time, and so I thought it was important for us to to, uh, spend some time uh, preaching through one of these. So uh, we're starting today a series through Zechariah, and I'm calling our series The God Who Restores. The God who restores, because Zechariah proclaims that the Lord, Yahweh, is going to restore what sin has broken. And so that this um, book has a lot of good news in it for us today. The original hear- hearers, or original readers of, of Zechariah, needed to hear that message. They were living during a time when the people of God were groaning under God's judgment. And so before we jump into verse 1, let me just kind of back up and and set the context for you. God had graciously rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and entered into a covenant with them under the leadership of Moses. And in that Mosaic covenant, God promised to pour out blessings on Israel as long as they obeyed and remained faithful to God. God gave them the promised land of Canaan. We We studied through Joshua not too long ago, and we saw that take place. Then fast forward, under King David, God gave them victory over their enemies there in the promised land. Under King Solomon, Israel built a beautiful temple, and the Shekinah glory of God's presence came and dwelt in that temple. And that's what was happening right there during our scripture reading, or right after what I read for our scripture reading earlier. So at that point... Israel is at kind of at the peak of their history, right? They're enjoying the blessings of God. They're living in the promised land. They're, they're living with God's presence dwelling among them in their midst there in the temple. But Israel did not remain faithful to God. They began worshiping other gods and rebelling against God's law. And again, the Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. Blessings for obedience but curses for disobedience. And because of their stubborn idolatry and rebellion, Israel came under God's judgment. The nation was divided. The northern kingdom was conquered by Assyria. Eventually, the southern kingdom fell to Babylon. Waves of inhabitants of Judah were exiled to Babylon. I have some of these dates, or Candace put them in there for us in the bulletin. And in 586, Babylon... um, 586 was kind of like the, the, the climax of the judgment, of the devastation, where uh, King Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar just destroyed uh, Jerusalem and destroyed the temple of God. And so Israel was under the, as we um, jump into Zechariah here, to just understand that, that God's people are under the judgment of God. Israel's now under the judgment of God. They're, they're kicked out of the land. They're, they're exiled. They're living under foreign rule. The temple's been destroyed. The glory of God is no longer in their midst. 
But God, being rich in mercy and in faithfulness to his covenant with Abraham, had not forgotten his people. And so in 539, if you're looking at history, the the Persians actually take over. They they take over Babylon. So they're kind of the top dog now, the Medo-Persian Empire. And shortly thereafter, Cyrus, king of Persia, issues a decree that the Jewish exiles could go back to their homeland. So now, many Jews are back in Jerusalem, they're, and they're, you know, so this is, this is good news. This is, in their, sin, in their minds, starting this restoration process. The Jews begin rebuilding the temple in 536 B.C., and you can read about that in the book of Ezra, but they're met with a lot of opposition, and the, and the project becomes, comes to a, a screeching halt before it ever really gets going. And so, 16... Some years go by, and no progress has been made on the temple. And so imagine how the Jews are feeling now. They are discouraged because nothing has really changed. Yes, they're back in the land, but they're still living under foreign rule. And there still is no temple. The glory of God is still not dwelling among them. Many Jews have given up. They've lost hope of, of living under the blessing and rule of God. They figure, well, you know, I guess this is just our lot. We might as well just kind of assimilate into the, the Persians here. You know, let's just kind of become like the world and make the best of it. And it's into that discouragement, into that complacency, into that hopelessness that God raises up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And their contemporaries preaching at the same time. And we're studying Zechariah. Zechariah's message is God has not forgotten you. God is at work. He will restore his kingdom under his promised king. And because God is a God who restores, Zechariah calls on God's people to rebuild the temple and return to the Lord with all their hearts. So let's begin now in verse 1. Zechariah 1.1, 1, 1. again, page 793 in your Bibles. Verse 1, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, well, we can figure out this is 520 B.C., it's late October, the, the rebuilding has just now started, um, a couple of months earlier under Haggai. This is around 66 years after the city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed by the Babylonians. But notice, like I said, there's still this hopelessness. There's still this despair. I mean, look at even the way the, the date is issued. It's not a king of Judah. It's not a king of Israel, right? It's, it's issued under the, the reign of a, king, of, of a Persian king, the year of Darius. He's king now, right? That shows that the effects of the exile are still hanging over God's people. The, the, the effects of God's judgment for their unfaithfulness is still present. Well, what about Zechariah? Well, he's a prophet, right? Clearly, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah. He's also, by the way, a member of the priestly family. Zechariah means Yahweh has remembered. What a great name, huh? Yahweh has remembered. This is fitting for a prophet whose message is about the Lord returning to his people and remembering, in other words, acting upon his covenant promises. 
Look back at the end of Exodus chapter 2, and it's a beautiful verse when the Israelites are groaning under, the bond, under slavery in Egypt. It says, God saw, God, God knew, God remembered. The title of our sermon today is, The Return of the Lord. That's what Zechariah is going to be proclaiming here. The Lord has not forgotten his people. And I've divided our text into four sections. Uh, if you, I, I gave little headings of those sections. They're not super important, but I'll, I'll do it just to help us organize our, our way through. And so the first section is here in verses 2 through 6. I called it the promise of God's return. The promise of God's return. In verses 2 through 6, Zechariah delivers God's message to the people here living in, in this situation, living in this hopelessness and discouragement, wondering if things were ever going to change. And I'll come back to verse 2, but under, it's interesting the way he does this. In verse 3, he gives them a command. And let me just show you that command. Therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. What did you notice even by me reading that right now? Three times in verse 3, you have the title, Lord of hosts. That literally means Yahweh of armies. That title portrays the power and the sovereignty of God. The Lord has armies of angels at his disposal. And this title, Lord of hosts, occurs 53 times in the book of Zechariah. That's a lot for a relatively short book, right? So again, it's reminding them, yes, you're under, you're under the effects of the exile, you're under the foreign rule here, but God is on his throne. And he's at work, and he's not forgotten you. But again, he's going to give them a, a good message here, but, but he's also giving them a command. God, through the prophet Zechariah, is saying, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. This is the Lord's message to the exiles, to those who've been living under this foreign rule, to those who are discouraged because the rebuilding of the temple has not gotten anywhere. Return to me and I will return to you. This is a call to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. It's a turning from sin and turning to the Lord in faith and obedience. God calls on the exiles to return to him, to forsake their sin, forsake this complacency, forsake this assimilating into the Persian culture, forsake that and turn back to me in covenant obedience. Return to me and I will return to you. In response to their repentance, God promises full restorations of the blessings of the covenant. We'll see as we go through the book of Zechariah, this promise speaks of God's return to the temple to dwell among his people. And notice this command of repentance is couched in Israel's past experience. So it's like Zechariah is telling the people, hey, here's God's word to you, and by the way, learn from your forefathers what not to do, okay? Because that's what he says, verse 2. The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Then we have the command in verse 3, return to me and I will return to you. Verse 4, back to the fathers. Do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. Right, I went through the history of Israel earlier, right, and talked about how they 
didn't stay faithful to God and, and it ended up leading to judgment and exile. But along the way, God had sent prophets warning the people, saying, hey, you're going astray, you're disobeying, you're not being true to the covenant. You're breaking God's covenant by committing these sins of idolatry and, and religious hypocrisy and social injustice. So God sent prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others exhorting the people to repent. It's, God had, had the same message to them, right? Even before they got carried off into exile. Return to me and I will return to you. But the, the people of God had, had not listened, verse 4. They did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. The people of Israel did not listen to the prophets. They refused to repent of their sins. They refused to return to the Lord in covenant obedience. So what happened to Israel? Well, again, he's, he's using them as a case study to, get, to shake them into repentance right now. He's saying, well, what was the result of that then? Verse, verse 5, he asked some rhetorical questions. Your fathers, where are they? How did that go for them? <laughs> Is what he's saying, right? You know, what happened to them? Well, they, they died. They, they were, and where did they die? Well, they died, and some of them died in the slaughter, right, when, when Jerusalem was taken over. Others died in exile. I mean, they, it was not good, right? Okay, and the prophets, did they live forever? The Hebrew expects the answer no there. The prophets who had provided this warning to God's people, they also eventually died. And the point is, in, in saying that, is the people of Zechariah's day should heed God's word and return to him while there's still time. Right? Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your heart. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Then the Lord asks a third question in verse 6. Right? Okay, your forefathers died, the prophets died. But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? The words and statutes, all the warnings, right, when, that the prophets had issued about the covenant blessings, the, the covenant curses, about returning to the Lord. Which, by the way, since we're talking about, you know, we're studying a minor prophet, let's be clear on what the prophets did, right? We, we often think of prophets as foretelling the future, but that's not really their primary role. They, they were primarily like God's prosecuting attorneys, <laughs> right? And so they would come and, and come to God's people, right, under the Mosaic Covenant and say, hey, guys, you're breaking the covenant. You're breaking the covenant. Here, here's the charges. Boom, 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 boom. You're guilty. Repent. That was their primary Role. God spoke through them to show God's people where they were sinning and to call them back to covenant obedience, lest the curses of the covenant come upon them. So in verse 6, God's saying, well, did, they, didn't, they didn't come back, so did the curses of the prophets warned about come to pass? Yes. What God had said back in Deuteronomy 28, what God had then repeated through the prophets did happen. What graphic language, the, 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 verse 6, the words of the covenant overtook the, the fathers, right? As they were stubbornly not turning back to the Lord, it's like those curses just overtook them. Okay, this is what's going to happen to you. The presence of God did leave the temple. The temple was destroyed. They were conquered by the Gentiles. They were driven out of the promised land. 
So how would the exiles now in Zechariah's day respond to Zechariah's message, to God's message through the prophet Zechariah? Would these exiles, the contemporaries of of Zechariah, would they learn from the experience of their fathers? Would they not um, follow in their father's footsteps? Well, look at the rest of verse 6. So they repented and said... As the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. Isn't that good news? The exiles repented. They acknowledged that God was right. He was was just for having judged the nations. Yes, our lives have been terrible, but we deserved it. Our fathers deserved it. They weren't faithful to you. And so these exiles acknowledge that. They're having this change of mind, this change of heart. They're saying, wow, we need to return to the Lord. We need to turn from our sins, what we've done, right? We need to turn back to the Lord. We don't want to be stubborn like our fathers. We cast down our idols. We forsake our evil ways. We don't want to keep living under these covenant curses. We're returning with our whole hearts to the Lord. And so that's great news, (laughs) The prophet Haggai, who, like I said, is ministering at the same time, also records the exiles repenting and responding to his preaching. The exiles have learned their lesson, thank God. They've been under the discipline of the Lord, but now they're repenting and returning to the Lord. So that's the first section. Then as we move into verse 7, we have a new section here. I called it the declaration of God's return, which, by the way, now we enter into a, a... type of genre of Zechariah that that covers quite a bit of the book. There's these eight night visions here in the the first half of the book. Eight eight visions that are given to the prophet Zechariah at night, probably all on the same night because they only give us the date on the very first one of them. They're not dreams because he's awake, but, but they're visions. And they're so as we, they're, they, they're going to be a little challenging. They're going to be a little obscure, but it's like apocryphal, um, language. And so what we do when we interpret apocryphal type literature is we, we try to understand, well, we notice, let me tell you what we don't do. What we don't do is we don't go chasing rabbit trails and trying to figure out every little detail. Oh, this detail means this, or this detail means that. No, you look and you say, what is explained for us? What details are explained? The text will explain what the vision is about. That's the main point we want to focus on. Some of the other details is just painting the, the backstory. It's just kind of giving the backdrop to make it stark. So we want to focus on what is the main thing the text is saying, right? Um, because those important elements will be explained. It's interesting, by the way, in these eight visions, again through um, the first six chapters or so of, of Zechariah, they, they kind of follow a flow or kind of a thematic flow, thematic pattern. In the first five visions, which is here one, beginning in verse 7 of chapter 1 all the way through the end of chapter 4, you have God portrayed as returning to his people to establish his kingdom, bringing forgiveness, bringing blessing, right? So you've got this, like what he just said, return to me and I'll return to you. Well, now in these first, what I say, five visions, it shows God returning to his people, And then the last three visions, which will be chapters 5 and 6, picture the opposite movement where sinners are judged and God's enemies are driven from out of the land. So it's it's interesting to kind of take that bird's eye view of it. But now let's dive into this first vision, verse 7. 
Like I said, this one gives us the date, which would be, in, according to our calendars, um, February 15th, 519 B.C., about three months from after the date of verse 1. Verse, verse 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. The color red, you know, I, you know we immediately think of, like, what is that picture, right? Well, the color red could also be translated chestnut, and that sorrel color could be translated bay, So these are actually typical horse colors, and they don't really seem to function symbolically here, unlike the vision in Revelation 6 where they do. But here I don't think the colors matter really. The verse doesn't explicitly say the other horses have riders, but apparently they do because down in verse 11 they're going to speak. But of course our attention is drawn to the man riding the red horse who's standing among the myrtle trees. Look at verse 9. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. That's something else we're going to see in these visions is oftentimes there's this angel that is like a Zachariah sidekick, right? He's, they call him the interpreting angel, which is good, right? Because he's going to have, he's, oftentimes he's going to be the one explaining to Zachariah what these visions are or what they mean, in other words, right? That angel is going to be found in seven of the eight visions, But in verse 10, it's the man on the red horse is the one who answers. Look at verse 10. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So it's like Zechariah sees these horses. It mentions four colors, but I'm picturing like tons of horses, right? And Zechariah's like, "What's, what's all this? And he says, well, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Like, it's like these are his centuries. These are his guys that go out and gather intelligence. These are the guys that go out and, and extend his, his uh, gather the intelligence, bring back information, extend his rule. Verse 11, And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Ah, so now we get a little more information here. The man on the red horse among the myrtles, he's identified as what? As who? The angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord speaks for God, yet seems to be more than simply an angel. Elsewhere, the angel of the Lord is an appearance of God in human form. And so again, you've got these other writers going out gathering intelligence for the Lord. And the picture here we see is God is on his throne. He's the Lord of hosts. He has angel armies. He has these patrols going out. They know what's going on. To God's people under under exile and under judgment, they they may feel like God's forgotten about us and he, he doesn't even know what's happening. No, he does. He sees. And what do they report back? Well, the earth remains at rest. Rest is an important word. In Jeremiah 30, verse 10, God had promised his people rest and peace after restoration to the land. But here they are, two years now, back, back in the land for two years, but they're still under Persian control. And so God's people are probably thinking, well, when do we get to experience that rest? Right? You're saying the rest of the world is at rest, but God's people are still in captivity. We're in unrest. We're, we're discouraged. Things are not going well. The temple's not rebuilt. God is not among us. And so the report of this rest, actually, look at verse 12, it actually provokes a complaint, which is interesting because it comes from the angel of the Lord. Uh, 
He says, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? It's like the angel of the Lord is interceding for God's people, asking the Lord of hosts, how long will they remain under God's judgment? And look at the beautiful response in verse 13. I just love this. And the Lord answered, gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I'm exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. So the Lord answers the angel who tells Zechariah to proclaim this message. And what kind of message is it? It's a message of comfort. It's a message of hope. Many of you are familiar with Isaiah 40, right, where the prophet was to proclaim, comfort, comfort, my people, right? Well, this is very similar, right? That, that was in Isaiah talking about the judgment's coming, but then God's going to restore you after the judgment. Well, here in Zechariah is told to proclaim that the time of God's comfort is here. He's to cry out that the Lord is jealous for his people. We think of jealousy being something bad, but God's jealousy is proper, right? It arises from his covenant relationship with his people. His jealousy describes his passion for this relationship, kind of like a, 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 there's a proper jealousy a husband and wife would have for each other, right? We don't want other people interfering. We don't want them fooling around. No, that's how the Lord is with his people. It's a pure jealousy, right? It, he's passionate about that relationship. He's willing to defend this relationship of his, of his people, With the 70 years of judgment coming to this end, God's anger, what we see in these verses is God's anger is shifting from his people to the nations. While God used Assyria and Babylon to punish Israel, Assyria and Babylon, they went too far. They overstepped their role. They did not acknowledge God of themselves, of course. They committed evil themselves. And now judgment's going to come on them. The nations of the world are at ease now, but God's judgment will come upon them. That's what these verses are saying. So we see this often in in Scripture, this how long, how long, O Lord, the psalmist will lament, how long am I going to suffer like this? Do you care? Do you know? And the answer here is God knows. He cares. He's doing something about it. Then in verse 16 and 17, God promises to restore his relationship with his people in Jerusalem. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, mighty cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. What a good message to proclaim. The temple will be rebuilt. The glory of the Lord will return. The city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt and blessed by God once again because God is returning to Jerusalem with mercy. Aren't you glad that God returns to his people with mercy? Not wrath, but mercy. Now in verse 18, we come to another very brief vision. I call this the reversal at God's return. Second vision, verse 18, I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, four horns. 
And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So it's Zechariah now sees four horns, animal horns, no doubt. Because those are a common image of military and political power. And that's what's being portrayed here. These are the four horns that have scattered God's people. And so these four horns represent the Gentile nations who have defeated God's people and scattering them into exile. I don't, we're not, I don't think we're t- to f- try to find four exact uh, nations. Four oftentimes in these type of uh, apocryphal thing, uh, literature, that's describing the four directions, right? North, south, east, west. It's just kind of saying the totality, right? Completeness. These nations, these Gentile nations have served as God's agents of judgment. Primarily Assyria and Babylon, but it would also include Egypt, Edom, Am- Amnon, Philistia. So we've got four horns, but there's more to the vision. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord sh- showed me four craftsmen. Wow, that's interesting. You would think, you know, there'd be four soldiers that are coming to fight the four horns. No, it's like, it's like guys with, with tool belts on, you know, <laughs> and, and, and hammers and, and saws. These craftsmen are those who are going to construct or rebuild, repair the temple. The four craftsmen correspond to the four horns. Verse 21, I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the... These are the horns that scattered Judah so no one raised his hand. And these, in other words, the craftsmen, have come to terrify them, the horns, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So what he's saying is these craftsmen are going to terrify and cast down the horns. They're going to defeat the horns. Again, it's showing that the temple's going to be rebuilt God's going to return to his people. He's returning to judge the nations. He's returning to dwell among his people. It's this great reversal. The horns have been the ones, you know, the big boys, they've been the ones scattering God's people. Now they're going to get conquered. And they're going to get conquered in such a way that everybody knows it's God who did it. I think some, some commentators see some significance in the fact that it's, it's craftsmen because although construction workers are are tough dudes, no doubt, but still, there's, there's kind of that, that theme that we see in Scripture of God using the, what is weak to shame the strong, right? Because again, we're not talking about military generals or anything. We're talking about just kind of ordinary God's people. But God is going to wor- work through them to judge the nations, to restore his blessings. It's a great reversal. The four nations responsible for scattering the people in exile will have their power removed. Next section, chapter 2, the last vision we're going to cover today. I call this responses to God's return because in the end of chapter 2, we see some, some exhortations. Chapter 2, verse 1, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Okay, we saw this earlier, this idea of a measuring line. But now he sees a vision with a measuring line. Verse, uh, a man with a measuring line. Verse 2, then I said, where are you going? <laughs> and he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is, what is its width and what is its length. So get the, get the picture of this third vision here. Zachariah, Zachariah sees a man. And as I was studying this, I was thinking, Garrett Botoff. He sees Garrett Botoff there. With his measuring line, with his, his, his uh, what do you call those things? Tape measure, thank you. See? Shows how much I use them, right? 
with his tape measure in his hand. What's he doing? He has a rebuilding project to get to. He's going to Jerusalem. He's, he's headed to Jerusalem to take measurements so he can rebuild the city. That's huge. That's great news to, these, to Zacharias' hearers. Verse 3, And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. Zechariah hears the angels deliver a message from God to the construction guy. Hey, when you go and rebuild Jerusalem, make it without walls. (laughs) What? A city without walls? God says this new Jerusalem can't have walls because I'm going to bless it so much that it's going to be overflowing with people and livestock and walls would just kind of constrain and get in the way. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. That sounds great. But, wait a minute though, in that day, cities always had walls for protection. But look at what God says in verse 5. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord. I will be the glory in her midst. God's going to protect the city. He will be a wall of fire around it. God will also be the glory in her midst. God's glory is always associated with the temple. If, you, if we were studying the, the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, we'd see in Ezekiel 1 that under, he saw under God's judgment God's glory departing the temple. Even before it was destroyed, right? Yet after Israel is punished, the prophet Ezekiel envisioned God's glory returning to the temple in Ezekiel 43. And that's what we have right here in Zechariah 2. God promises his glory is going to return to Jerusalem. In fact, it's like the the city and the temple are just going to be merged together. And then in verse 6, in the rest of the chapter, we have these uh, responses or exhortations then. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. In light of God's promise to return to Jerusalem, he charges his people still living in the land in exile to flee from the land of the north. That was an expression for Babylon, by the way which technically was east of Jerusalem, but apparently if you were traveling from Jerusalem to Babylon, you first went north to, to bypass, to go around the deserts, right? So it was called the land to the north. So the exiles are to escape from Babylon, the ones that aren't there yet in Jerusalem. Escape from Babylon, head to Zion, head to Jerusalem. Why? Because God's judgment is soon going to fall on Babylon and on the other Gentile nations. Verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know what the, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. At the end, Zechariah is saying, this is what you're, this is what you should do. This is what's going to happen. And by the way, that's going to confirm that my, I am a true prophet. My message is, is true here. Verse 10, sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. So God is saying he's going to save his people from the nations. He's going to return to dwell among them. Notice what it says up there in verse 8. His people are the apple of his eye. So he will judge the nations who have touched his people, he says, those who've harmed his people. He's going to judge them. Why? Because he loves his people and he's faithful to his covenant. 
They don't deserve it. But God is gracious. God in his power and justice is going to bring a great reversal. The nations who plundered God's people, they're going to be plundered. Those who were servants, they're going to be the ones now, the conquerors who are served. In light of God's coming judgment on the nations and his return to Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are exhorted to do what? To sing, to rejoice in verse 10, it says. Remember, they were hopeless, they were discouraged, they were complacent. They thought, oh, you know, God's just done with us, why even bother? And he says, no, return to me, I'm not done. Return to me and I'm going to return to you. Rejoice. Verse 11, and many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people and I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. God's plan, notice what it says there, many nations. God's plan is not merely to save Israel, but to save many nations who will join themselves to the Lord. Remember, God's promise to Abraham was that through his seed, all nations would be blessed. And this comes to fulfillment through the promise seed, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, and the Lord will... Inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. God's people are told to sing and rejoice at his return while the nations are told to be silent. Stop their raging against the Lord and against his anointed one. Allah, Psalm 2. The vision shows that God is roused, right? We see this in some of the Psalms, don't we? God is roused to save his people and to bring judgment on his enemies. We'll stop there going through Zechariah, right? But as we go through, understand, loved ones, that this all finds its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we learn about God What are we reminded about God, right? God is gracious. God is merciful. God has made gracious promises to people who don't deserve them. And he keeps those promises, those promises he made back to Abraham. In his grace, God promises to return to his people. And for for Zechariah's contemporaries, that would have brought to mind God's promise to Jeremiah of restoration, of forgiveness of sins after these 70 years of exile, of God once again blessing Jerusalem and the land, of God making even what he says, uh, making a new covenant and, and, and raising up a promised king of David. Again, God has done all of that through Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus that God's mercy and blessing has been, has been uh, brought to us. And it's through Jesus that his mercy and blessing is experienced. So we see Jesus throughout these visions. This vision of a Jerusalem without walls, overflowing of God's blessing, finds its fulfillment in Jesus. When we think about the glory of God returning to his people, how did the glory of God visit his people? In the person of Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. The Lord Jesus, he tabernacled among his people. Jesus brought salvation for his people. He brought salvation for his people consisting of those from all nations. 
And so what I, I close with just a couple of, I guess, responses, a couple of um, exhortations here. Number one is return to the Lord. That's the message we saw, right? Return to the Lord. And for some here today, that may mean for the very first time, turning to Jesus in repentance and faith. Realizing that you have sinned against your creator and that because of your sin, you are under his judgment. Again, scripture and even the passages we're looking at today remind us that God is a holy God who judges sin. He will not just look the other way. Your sin must be accounted for. It must be punished. And if you die still in your sins, you are the one who will pay that punishment with eternal separation from God in in a place the Bible calls hell. But God is also gracious and merciful, and he has sent a Savior. And he himself, the eternal Son of God, came to earth, became a man, lived and died in the place of his people. He lived a perfect life, making him a perfect substitute. That perfect life secured the righteous standing that we need. And then he died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice for sin. And so all who turn from their sins and by faith embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior are saved. And so some here today may need to return to the Lord for the very first time. Return to your Creator You've been living life on your own. You, that's what sin is. It's saying, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. I don't care what God says. I don't care what his word says. I don't care the fact that Jesus is on his throne. But maybe God in his grace and mercy has, has broken through your hard heart today. And is telling you, you better care. Jesus is on his throne and he's coming again. He, he welcomes you into his kingdom now. But if you're not in his kingdom when he returns, you'll be judged for eternity. And so return to the Lord. And then even for those of us who have experienced the the blessings and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved from our sins. We know he's forgiven us, praise God. We know that we're adopted into his family and we're members of his kingdom. We too are to be a repenting people. Right? And, and, and when we saw that early in chapter 1, when he's calling on God's people to repent, to return, we too can be like Zachariah's contemporaries where we allow complacency to set in. We walk by faith and not by sight, and sometimes that can lead us to just getting complacent. Ah, it doesn't seem like anything's happening. Ah, you know, we can't see Jesus, and what we see is the glitz and glamour of the world around us. And so if that's the situation you're in today, I would urge you to return to the Lord. As a a beloved child of God, again, we're not talking about having to earn back his love or anything. No, he still loves you, but maybe you you yourself have distanced, you have distanced yourself from him. Return to the Lord. Throw off any idols. Throw off any sin that's, that's hindering your relationship with the Lord. Return back to him with your whole heart. As Christians, we are to daily be a repenting people. We still struggle with sin. And so may God, through his spirit, show us areas where we need to repent. Where we need to turn from our sin and turn back to Christ. Turn back to the Lord in obedience. And then the last one is rejoice in the Lord. Return to the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. 
Right? Again, I hope as you were, I, I trust you were kind of putting yourself in, in um, the contemporaries of Zechariah's shoes some, right? It's not too hard for us to relate. Peter says in his epistle, we're exiles, right? We're exiles now. We're members of the kingdom of God, but we're exiles awaiting our final redemption, our final homegoing. And so we, we could be like the, the contemporaries, and we could be like, how long, O oh Lord? What's going on? Why does the world seem so at ease? <laughs> Why does the world seem, seem like everything's just going well for them, and yet we're the ones suffering? Take heart. Be encouraged. God is not slow in keeping his promises. God is faithful in his promises. One day he, Christ will return. And then we'll experience the glory of God and dwell with him uh, in the new heavens and the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. And so take heart, rejoice in the salvation. Rejoice that God is sovereign. He is the Lord of hosts. He sees, he knows, he remembers, he's faithful. His mercies are new every day. And so cling, cling to the Lord, cling to the gospel and to his promises. Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We bow before you as the Lord of hosts. We praise you, Lord, for your faithfulness to your people. We praise you for your grace in, in, in making a covenant with, with, with sinful pagan people to begin with, Lord. Abram was, was a pagan that you called out of idolatry and, and established this glorious covenant with him. And now you, we are blessed to be children of Abraham by your grace, by the regenerating work of your spirit, you've given us the faith of Abraham to believe in, in Christ. And so, Lord, we thank you that we are your people. Lord, help us to um, forgive us for when we stray. Lord, we know that we, are, we, like sheep, are prone to wander. Help us to continually return to you daily, to sit at your feet, Lord, to hear your teaching, to rest in your love and care. Thank you for your rod and staff that guide us and discipline us and, and, and grab us around the neck and bring us back to you. Oh, God, we need that, and we thank you. May you draw any here today who don't know you, Lord. May you encourage your people, Lord, those who are suffering, those who are, are beaten down by this fallen world, Lord. Encourage them that you are at work and that one day you are returning. Jesus is coming again in power and great glory. And he will eradicate sin once and for all one day. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Will you stand together and let's sing a final song of praise.